blessing us once again with your presence in this place. We thank you, God, that we're able to connect uh, virtually at this time until you see fit to lift us from our land, that we're able to come back corporately, personally, together again, that we may have church as you intended it to be. But now, God, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to still connect with your people, to minister to their hearts and their needs according to your riches and glory. So we first and foremost want to ask that you intercede and intervene upon our behalf. Whatever the need is, whatever the issue, the circumstance, uh, the predicament that your people find themselves faced with right now, we pray as we believe, as we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, that we would see the goodness and the glory of the Lord even in the land of the living. So show up, God. Show up. Prove yourself to your people as you manifest your power and your presence in every situation that we're faced with, that we may see your victory in our lives. And then as we present this offering to you, this gift, we know we can only give to you that which you have first given unto us. So we honor you by it. We prove that we believe in you by giving to you today. For you say you will provide according not to our economy, not according to the stock market, not according to the job report, but according to your riches and glory. And so we ask God during this time of famine, this time of drought, this time of lack, that you will continue to be Jehovah Jireh and provide all that we need all that you've called us to do and do for you. Now, Lord, we ask, God, that you will watch over your word. As we now have had our hearts prepared to receive that which you have prepared for us, watch over your word today. See that it does what you have purposed and predestined it to do, even before the foundation of the world. And that is to bring light to the lifeless, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring peace where chaos and confusion abounds, God to bring victory and power, but also instruction in the ways of righteousness and in the ways and the function of your kingdom, that we may be blessed by it and be a blessing because of it, that you may be glorified throughout it all. So we thank you, we love you, we ask that you will do this, not only for our good, but for your glory. These things we ask and pray in the powerful and precious name of Almighty God. All of God's people said together, amen. Wherever you are, just give Lord a praise. Give him worship. Give him glory, for he is good in this place. Amen, amen, amen. Well, in our uh, entertainment industry, in our entertainment industry, there is a covenant accomplishment that anybody and everybody in the entertainment would try to uh, achieve. And that particular covenant accomplishment is something called the EGOT, right? Or to be a recipient of an EGOT. And simply what that is, that is being awarded in the realm of TV, in the realm of music, in the realm of film, and in the realm of theater. EGOT is uh, an acronym that simply means the Emmy, the Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. And there's only been a handful of people in the entertainment industry that have become EGOT participants. So they have won an award in all four of these particular 
category. So we can go back a little bit. Uh, Audrey Hepburn was one. Mel Brooks is another. But the latest ones that we will know today would be Whoopi Goldberg and John Legend. These are EGOT participants or EGOT recipients where they have won an award in all four of these particular industries or categories. But the award shows, if you haven't noticed or uh, seen the report, the award shows have been beginning to take a dive. They begin to take a dive a little bit. Uh, not too many people, as before, are tuning in to watching these award shows any longer. You know, other than the performances and to see what people are wearing, not too many people are interested in seeing the elite award the elite or give these political statements or speeches when they do. So their ratings are going down. The numbers of watching are going down because what really moves the heart of people is not awards, but rewards. What moves the heart of humanity is not awards, but rewards. You may be thinking, well, what is the difference? What is the difference between an award and a reward? Well, awards are given for a rare accomplishment. You may have had some uh, uh, effort placed into that or no effort at all. An award is simply given for a rare accomplishment. A reward, however, is given in response to one's effort. Okay? Remember those uh, wanted pictures in old westerns? They wanted this particular criminal, and there is a $5,000 reward. Not award, but Reward. If you are willing to invest the time and the effort and the attention in going out and capturing this guy for us, we will respond with a reward. You ever see in your neighborhood that someone lost their cat or lost their dog and say, help us to find our pet. If you do, we will reward you for your effort. So while an award is given simply for a rare accomplishment, it may come with effort, but it may not come with effort. A reward, however, is based on responding to the effort that one has made. An award, the person is recognized. With a reward, the act of the person is acknowledged. Okay? So that means with an award, you are giving, being awarded this because of what you do. With a reward, you're giving this because of what you've done for somebody else. And so what we are talking about today is rewards. As we continue the study of the book of Daniel, as we continue in the 70th week of Daniel, as we've said before, I believe that we as the church, we as the people of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, I believe you are not going to be here. I am not going to be here for what the Bible describes as being the 70th week of Daniel. The last seven years uh, of time on earth before Jesus Christ comes back as king, okay? Those last seven years we call the 70th week of Daniel or the tribulation period or the great tribulation and the last half of it. I believe you won't be here. So now, if you believe as I believe, your next question or thought may be this. Well, if we won't be here for the 70th week of 
Christianity. Well, if we're not going to be here for these last seven years, number one, where will we? Where, where will we we be? And number two, what will we be doing? Where will we be at this time? Where will we be for these seven years? And what will we be doing? Well, just like we have the Oscars and the Emmys and the Tonys and the Grammys and all these other uh, award ceremonies, God, too, has not an award ceremony, but a reward ceremony. He has a reward ceremony where it is designed not to recognize the person, but the action of the person or the lack thereof. God has this ceremony as well, and I believe this reward ceremony is what we will be doing during this seven-year period on earth, right? So, of course, we will be in the presence of God. We will be in heaven, as it were, but we will be experiencing or going through this reward ceremony that the Bible talks about during this seventh week of Daniel. So this is going to take place after the rapture, but before the coming of Christ. After the church is raptured out of here, and before we come back to earth with Christ to reign and rule with him, in between that, that seven-year period, we are going to be going through this reward ceremony. And these rewards that are be, will be handed out, it will be based on what with what God has given us to do it with. So I believe in this particular ceremony, as we're going to look today, there are going to be two uh, things that are going to happen there during that time. People are going to either receive reward or regret. Because this reward ceremony is not based on you, it is based on what you have done for the kingdom of God, Either you are going to receive reward during this time, or you're going to receive regret during this time, okay? as the Bible is going to teach us today. So with that said, this next installment of our series, The Seals Revealed, this is part 11 that I'm simply entitling, Reward or Regret. Reward or Regret. Now, let's talk about a little bit about the few differences between God's reward ceremonies and the award ceremonies that we see here on earth. First and foremost, this ceremony will be prime time. It will be prime time, okay, because that's all that will be going on. That's all that will be happening during this time. But no one will be asking, who are you wearing? That will not be a discussion. That will not be a question that is asked. No one will be asking you who you're wearing. Why? Because we will all be wearing the same thing. Okay? <laughs> we will all be wearing Jesus Christ. We will all have on the robe of righteousness. Okay? So who are you wearing won't be a question that will be asked. Okay? How you arrive won't come up either. Because we all would have arrived by way of rapture. Everybody who will be at this particular ceremony will be wearing the same thing and will show up the same way. Who you came with won't be of a concern. Why? Because you will stand alone during this reward ceremony. How much money? 
That will be of no, uh, no essence in this particular ceremony here because you would have left your riches behind and the only thing that will matter is what you forwarded ahead. There will be no political statement. There will be no acceptance speech. Why? Because this reward ceremony is not about you. It has nothing absolutely to do with you but what has been given to you and what you did with it. And so there will be no acceptance or political speeches at all. So what will be up for consideration during this reward ceremony that God is going to show us today? Well, God is going to have this one question, but it can be asked in different ways. One way it can be asked is this. What did you do with what you were given? This reward ceremony, God is going to look to us and he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? Or how obedient were you to doing what I asked of you? How obedient were you to do what you knew to do? Or how faithful were you to continue to do? I mean, you started off well, and you were doing it fine for a while, but how faithful were you to it? Did you continue in what I have called you and told you to do? Another way he could ask it is this. How did you contribute to the kingdom of God? How did your life and the resources that I gave you contribute to the growth or the advancement of the kingdom of God and the glory of God. And at this reward ceremony, God is not only going to ask us what you did, he's going to also want to know why you did it. And this particular ceremony is it's not only important what you did, what's also is equally important is why you did it as well. And so not from birth, but from the moment you were brought in to the kingdom, to the moment you were taken to the kingdom, either by death or by rapture, from the moment you were brought in to the moment you were taken to, God is going to take that time, and he's going to want to know, what did you do with what I gave you, and why did you do it? The answer to those questions, or the revelation to that question, I should say, is going to determine you either receiving reward or regret. Now, this particular reward ceremony of God, it is found in several places throughout uh, the New Testament and possibly even in the Old Testament as well. Let me just give you a few so you can see that I'm not making this up. <laughs> Hebrews 13:17. Hebrews 13:17 gives us one of the scriptures that indicate this reward ceremony that will take place in heaven. It says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. God says you need to treat your leaders with respect and with honor. Why? Because they have been charged to watch over your soul. And they have been charged to do it knowing that one day your leaders, your pastors, those who uh, uh, 
your spiritual walk, they, I will stand before God one day and have to give an account as far as how I did that. So the responsibility of anything and everything that takes place at Believe Church falls on my and Cynthia's shoulders. <laughs> because God has called us to keep charge over you, to be the under-shepherd over you, to, to, to lead you and to guide you in the way and the direction you are to go. We want you to imitate us only as we imitate Christ. Why? Because one day God is going to call us unto himself. And we are going to have to give an account to God as far as how we did what he called us to do. There's another scripture in James 3.1. In James 3.1, it says this way. Not many of you should become teachers, leaders, pastors. Not many of you should do that. Why? My fellow believers, because you know that we who teach, we who shepherd, we who pastor will be judged more strictly. God says, you shouldn't be so quick to just get up and go start a church. You shouldn't be so quick to do that. Because once you put yourself in the place or the position of a shepherd, God says, get ready for a stricter accountability time. God says, get ready for a stricter judging with me. When you place yourself in that position, you will be judged, the Bible says, more strictly. Why? Because it's not only your life you're affecting, but you're affecting all those you are leading as well. So God says, a day is coming, a time is coming, where every preacher, every pastor, every leader, every teacher who, who resided and governed over the affairs of God's people will give an account to God, will be judged on what they did and why they did it. Now, you may be saying, okay, well, those, are talk, those scriptures are talking about pastors. I'm not a pastor. Those scriptures are talking about leaders. I'm not a leader. Those scriptures are talking about uh, ministers. I'm not a minister. Okay, well, because the Bible says pastors will be judged more strictly, that means than others, it doesn't mean instead of others. So there still is a judgment to the layman and woman. There still is a time of accountability that is going to come, whether you're a pastor or not, whether you are a leader or not, whether you are a minister, quote unquote, or not. There still is a judgment, a day of accountability that's coming because pastors will be judged more strictly. So that's not saying uh, in place of others or instead of others, it's just saying more than others. That's why the Bible says, to whom much is given, much will be required as well. We all will be judged. We all will be held accountable. We all will give an account for the deeds done in the body and the time given on this world and this earth, but some simply more than others. So let me give you those scriptures so we can see again that it is not just pastors and leaders and ministers who will be judged by God. In Hebrews 4.13, Hebrews 4.13 says this, and there is no creature, there is no creature that is hidden from God's sight, 
of the eyes of him, watch this, to whom we must give an account. God says you can't hide from him. You can't escape him. The psalmist said, where can I go to escape your presence, O Lord? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. But even if I decide to make my bed in hell, behold, I find you there as well. There is nowhere I can go to escape the presence of God. You can't close the door. You can't turn off the light. You can't go get under the covers enough. God says there is nothing that will be hidden from me. Nothing. <laughs> and we will have to stand before God one day, the Bible says. We must give an account. Romans 14, 10. Romans 14, 10 says this. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat not just pastors, not just ministers, not just leaders, but we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess uh, to God. So then, here it is, so then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. This lets us know that not only will we stand before God, we will stand alone before God. <laughs> because the Bible says each one of us will stand before God. And each one of us will give an account of who? Ourselves. We can't bring anybody with us. We can't bring our mom and dad with us. We can't bring our spouse with us. Can't bring our kids with us. Can't bring our pastor with us. Can't bring the president with us. We will stand before God alone and give an account of our what did you have control of then? Now, we can come up with all kinds of excuses and all kinds of reasons of why we are disobedient to God and why we're not faithful to doing what God has called us to do. But at that time, no other name will be mentioned. <laughs> we won't be able to mention anybody's name and any other reason and any other excuse and any other. Th no, you will stand before God alone. that we will all be held accountable then. That means that we are all responsible now. How can God hold us accountable for something then unless he makes us responsible for it now? And that is why God left us in on this reward ceremony. That's why God lets us know that this is coming. Some of you, like, I mean, some of you are teachers in here, and uh, but you have this in other professions as well, where you have this time where they're going to come and evaluate you. Maybe you're at the end of the year, or maybe you're up for a promotion, or maybe uh, it's part of your contract, whatever. But they're going to come in, and they're going to evaluate you. <laughs> they want to see how you function, how you do your job. Are you following the guidelines that, that have been presented to you, that have been required of you? They're going to evaluate you and then make a judgment based on that evaluation. Now, none of us like any spot check, right? <laughs> none of us like for the principal to come in our classroom while we're teaching and say, guess what, today's evaluation time. Now, we don't like that. <laughs> Let us in on it. <laughs> Let us know that it's coming. Let us know what we're supposed to be doing so that we can be sure to be doing it when the evaluation comes. Well, God says, that's my mercy and that's my 
my grace. I'm going to let you know what's required of you. I'm going to let you know what you should be doing. I'm going to let you know my will, my word, my purpose, my desire. So that when you stand before me, it will be of no surprise to you. This is the grace and the mercy of God. Him simply letting us know that a judgment day is coming. Now, if you've been here with throughout this series, you've heard me say that God has not appointed us unto wrath. That Jesus Christ took all of our judgment for all of our sin upon himself. That was the purpose of the cross. And so, like in our judicial system, God doesn't have double jeopardy. God doesn't judge the same sin twice. So if he took all of his wrath and all of his judgment and unleashed it upon his one and only son for us, that means that we don't face another judgment for our sin. Why? Because Jesus bore our judgment for us. So now, how is it that you are talking about us being judged during this time? If Jesus Christ took our judgment, why during this time are we going to now be judged? Well, that is because there are two different kinds of judgment with God. Two different kinds of judgment at the end with God. One particular judgment is called the great white throne judgment. Okay, this is found in Revelation. The great white throne judgment, that is a judgment of God, okay? But then there is another judgment found in the Bible, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. Two totally different judgments. The great white throne judgment, and then the judgment seat of Christ. One judges sinners. The other judges your wins are judged. One keeps you out of heaven. One sees how you help others go to heaven. So these are two completely different judgments. When we say that God has not appointed us to his wrath, that Jesus Christ took care of our judgment, that is talking about judgment for our God is talking about the judgment for our sin. If God has already judged our sin in Jesus Christ, he's not going to turn around and judge us again for our sin if it's already been judged. So that is the great white throne judgment. That is not the judgment you and I will face. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you're found in Christ, you will see no part of the great white throne judgment. That is not the judgment we're talking about. That is judgment for sin. Anybody who's at that judgment... Is, is kicked out of the kingdom forever, okay? Separated from God forever. But just because we don't go through the great white throne judgment doesn't mean that there's not a judgment we will go through. The judgment that we will go through is the one that is called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. You remember, I know right now we uh, can't do it. I think they postponed the Olympic Games, but... The Olympic Games have been going on for some time now, okay? And it used to be where, right now, of course, they are giving medals, right? They're giving gold or silver or bronze based on how they can.
But before they gave medals, they would give wreaths or they would give uh, uh, garland crowns to wear, right? But think back when, when you would go to or you would see somebody competing during the Olympic Games. Once they were done competing, they would stand before what is known as a bema seat or a judgment seat to be judged. Now, judgment has a negative connotation to it. When we hear the word judgment, we think negative, we think punishment, okay? But judgment can also be a good thing. If you are doing what you're supposed to do, if you have something coming to you, then judgment now becomes a good thing. And when these athletes would complete, uh, compete and they are done competing, they would stand before the judgment seat, they would stand before the bema seat to be judged. And what they were judged on is how they competed, if they stayed in the rules and the guidelines and the stipulations of their event, and if they won. If they competed within the rules and guidelines and they won, they were given a wreath or a garland crown to wear as their reward for that. That's why Paul says in one scripture, they competed this way for a perishable crown. We do it for what? An imperishable crown. Terrible crown. This wreath or garland crown, it may be fresh now, but it's eventually going to wither and die. If they were willing to discipline their body and, and be under control and train and work out and do all they can for something that is going to perish, Paul is saying, how much more should we be willing to do all that for an imperishable crown? So he gives the uh, uh, illustration of an Olympic athlete competing for a crown. He's saying the exact same thing is going to happen during this reward ceremony. So where is this reward ceremony found in Scripture? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find this reward ceremony. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it starts off by saying this. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. God, through Paul, says that you and I, if you're found in Christ, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. What does it mean by that? Well, a building is something that is being built. Okay? And a field is something where seed is planted and grows. And a worker is someone who works. So what God is saying here is simply this. We are supposed to be working with him to build, to plant, and to grow the kingdom of God for him. Let me say it again. God is letting us know we are supposed to be working with him to build, to grow, to plant, and to see the kingdom of God advance for him. That is what this life is all about. You wonder why when you got saved, God didn't just kill you and, and kick you to heaven? Because that's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is not just to go to heaven, okay? We're all going. I'm grateful for it. But that's not the purpose of life. If that's, if that's all God wanted, he could have just created us in heaven. Or the day you got saved and gave your life to Christ, he could have killed you and kicked you to heaven if that's the purpose, that's the goal. That's not the purpose or the goal, okay? He has work for you to do. That's why you've been brought into the kingdom of God. Just like Mordecai told Esther, 
perhaps you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Because God has work for you to do, because God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and so you've been brought in to do work for the kingdom of God. And that same advice or warning is given to us as well. We are God's fellow workers. Our job is not just to sit here and be spectators of what God is doing. No, we are to be participators in the work of the Lord in kingdom business. And he says this in verse 10. We are to do this according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and now another builds on it. God says this will not be a celebration of you because it has nothing to do with you. Nothing that you are using came from you. Right? The Bible says, nothing you came into this world, nothing you're going to leave. Right? You brought nothing in, you take nothing out. So whatever you have and whoever you are and the opportunities you have to do things, that was given to you. And so God says, this is by grace. That's why this ceremony, the ceremony, you are not going to be applauded. Right? This ceremony is not about you, right? Because God is the one who gave you who you were and everything that you have to do what he's called you to do. It is by grace that we are who we are. It is by grace that we have what we have. It is by grace that it is all because of him and for him. But what we decide to do with it, what we decide to do with what God has given us will determine if we reward it by it or not. That's why in the next verse God says this, so let's each one take heed of how he builds on it. Right? He is a warning. Right? He is a warning. It's caution. God says let everybody take heed on how he builds on the foundation that has been laid. And so the heed is for how we're going to build and each and also if we're going to build at all. So in verse 11, he lets us know what he's talking about. He says this, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We know that. But now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. The Bible talks about the day, and in your Bible, day is probably capitalized. Because it's not talking about a day, it's talking about the day, uh, more specifically, judgment day. God is referring to judgment day. He's saying on that day, on judgment day, you need to be careful. You need to take heed how you build because on that day, it is going to be revealed. It is going to be revealed and it's going to be revealed by fire. So there are two particular categories that God gives us for how we can build on the foundation that's been laid. We can either build with gold, silver, and precious stones or we can build with wood, hay, and straw. Notice here, one set of materials, one set is refined by fire. 
the other is consumed by it. Gold, silver, and precious stones, all that is refined by fire. The wood, hay, and straw, that is consumed by fire. So the Bible is saying on that day, on judgment day, when we stand before God, God is going to take everything you did or didn't do. From the time you got saved, from the time you gave your life to Jesus Christ, to the time he called you home or he came for you, he is going to take all that you did, all that I did, and he's going to lay it on his altar. Then he is going to set fire to it. He's going to set fire to everything that has been laid on that altar to see if it is it is consumed. In other words, the Bible says, not only is he going to take what you did, he is also going to test what you did. Now that's interesting because he being God obviously knows all things. Why is he going to have to test what we do? Why is he going to have to put fire to it and test what we do? I mean, obviously, if he's placing gold silver and precious stone on the altar, that is what it is, right? Not necessarily. The reason why God has to test everything that we do is because everything that glitters isn't gold. (laughs) Everything that glitters isn't gold, and some diamonds have been designed for dummies. You heard of cubic zirconium? (laughs) They look real. They look like diamonds, right? These big, fat rope chains you see uh, entertainers or rappers wearing look real. (laughs) All that looks real until it's tested, right? And so in the same way, all of the work that we supposedly did for the Lord, all the work that we were doing, quote-unquote, for the glory of God, may look real good on this side. May have gotten the applause and the attention of mankind. May have gotten all the views and the likes and everything else. It may look like gold, silver, and precious stone here. But God says, when I take all that you did and I place it on my altar and that fire uh, uh, sets it ablaze, then it's going to be revealed what it truly was. And there's going to be a lot of things that people thought were gold, silver, and precious stone is going to end up being wood, hay, and straw. Why? Because of the motive behind what we did. God is not only concerned about what we did, he's also concerned about why you did what you did. It has always been an issue or a matter of the heart. That's why Jesus said, you have heard said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say, if you lust for a woman in your heart, you've done it. Do not murder. But I say, if you have hate in your heart, you've done it. It has always been the issue of the heart. It has always been motive behind God. It's not just what you did. It is also why you did it. And this fire is going to reveal it. <laughs> this fire is going to reveal the motive behind what you did. So every message I've ever preached <laughs> will be set on this altar. And anything that was for me, anything that was to get my attention or glory for me or to to talk about somebody else or an issue that was brought up in the 
person. I want to prove how I was right. So let me come up with a method to let them know how I was right. Burn up the smoke, okay? <laughs> God, every time you, you come up here and we have the worship team here, if you come up on this stage and you're playing and you're worshiping God, but you're doing it for yourself, wood, hay, and straw. Double. Why? Because God is not only concerned about what you do, he's concerned about why you do it. For example, in Matthew 6, 1, God says this, Jesus Christ says this, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, watch this, to be seen by men. The reason why people were doing what they were doing at that time is for the applause of men. God says, don't do that. Don't fast that way. Don't give that way. Don't pray that way. He says, otherwise you have no reward. God says, if that's the reason you're doing it, if that's the reason you're doing it, so you can have the applause of men, the glory of men, the focus of men, the attention of men, God says, then don't look for a reward from me. Because I don't care how holy it looked, I don't care how spiritual you thought it was, on that day it's going to be revealed what it truly is. He says, you will have no reward from your Father where? In heaven. Talking about this ceremony. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets, that they may have glory from Surely I say to you, they have their reward. If that is why you're doing it, when you get the applause of men, God says, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> if that is the only reason you are doing what you are doing, when you get the applause of men, when you get the glory of men, when you get all the likes and the retweets and the views and the following and all that, and you feel real good about yourself, God says, I hope you enjoy it. Don't look for a reward from me. Because why you're doing it is just as important as what you're doing in the first place. He says, no, but when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward this side of glory, but I believe he's also talking about this reward ceremony. What you did in secret, what you did behind closed doors, what you did pleased in my glory and the advancement of my kingdom, because you did it in secret when I set it to my altar and it remained, I'm going to reward you, not in secret, openly. You will be rewarded openly. Because it doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what man thinks. I don't care how many applause, how many amen, how many followers there are. doesn't matter what man says. You know, in our award ceremonies, there's a lot of applause that goes on throughout that ceremony, right? A lot of standing ovations and all that that's going on. But the only applause that matters is the one that comes from heaven. Because, you know, it's kind of like uh, America's Got Talent, you know, these shows where you have people who are competing. They'll come up on stage and they'll do their act. And sometimes the crowd will cheer. 
Sometimes the crowd will stand up on their feet and they will applaud. Wow, that was great. And then they will come to Simon Cowell. The, the, the camera will go to him and he says, you know what? I really didn't like that. <laughs> I really didn't like that. And the crowd will begin to boo and, and hiss and all that. Oh, you're, you're crazy. He says, look, y'all can boo all you want, but at the end of the day, I'm the judge. <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm the one that determines who goes on and, and who doesn't. So it doesn't matter what the crowd thinks. No matter what the crowd says, the question is, is God applauding? Is God giving you a standing ovation? Because I don't care if all of mankind applauds what you're doing. If God is not standing up, if God is not applying, then you can forget about it. Why? Because he is your final judge. And he is the one and the only one who determines reward or rebuke. And here it is in verse 14. It says this. Now, after I take everything you've quote-unquote, for the kingdom of God, from the time you brought into the kingdom to the time I took you to the kingdom, and I placed it on the altar, and I set fire to it, it says in verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, that is, endures the fire, he will receive a what? will be rewarded, rewarded accordingly based on what remains after the fire has passed. But in verse 15, it says, if anyone's work is burned, that means nothing there, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as This judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, is not to determine one's salvation. It is not to determine who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven. That is not the purpose of this judgment seat. Because the Bible says clearly here, you will still be saved. Why? Because you're not saved by works. You're not saved by what you do or what you don't do. That, that has nothing to determine your salvation. So even if you don't have anything left on the altar after that fire goes out, you're still in heaven. <laughs> you're still going to heaven, right? You're still coming back to this earth to rule with Jesus Christ. That's still going to happen because that is not based on your works. But if there is nothing that is left or remains, God says you will suffer loss. In other words, you won't
we all feel in the need, there's more that we could be doing. And especially when we get to that side and we see how insignificant everything else was, we most definitely are going to have some form of, well, I could have given more, I could have served more, I could have done more, I could have done this more. We all are going to go through that, right? We're all going to go through that. But besides that natural feeling that we all will have, God is simply going to say, if you were faithful and obedient doing what I told you to do and there's something left, you're going to be rewarded for that. But if you didn't do what you knew to do, what you would have been rewarded with, you won't get. So the suffer, suffer of love simply means you won't be getting what you could have gotten. Now, this is not the only place, again, that this is found. Jesus alludes to this in other verses. Revelation 22.12. Revelation 22.12, watch this. Jesus says this, and behold, I am coming quickly, and watch this, my reward is with me to give to everyone, here it is, according to his work. Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. You say, well, that sounds like a Samaritan-sounding response. But he says, this reward is according to our work. And we know that salvation is not according to our work. Salvation is according to his work. So there must be something other than our salvation that God is coming with to judge us on based on our work. And then in Luke 19, he gives the parable of the steward and the talents or the minnow. He goes to the one who was able to gain 10. He says, Master, your minnow has earned 10 minnows. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were faithful in a little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your minnow has earned five minnows. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over ten cities? No, five cities. Now, why didn't the second servant get what the first servant got? Because it is according to our work. It is based on our work, based on what you did is what you were and we know the third servant did absolutely nothing with what his master gave him. And so not only did he not get anything, even what he had was taken away. God gives us this parable to let us know. He, he opens this parable by saying, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this is what you can expect. The master who you left is coming back. He's going to settle accounts with his servants. And he's going to want to know what did you do with what I gave you? And based on what you did with what is given to you, you will be rewarded accordingly. The judgment seat of Christ is the accounting of stewardship. Stewardship is a, a, a fancy word that simply means management. Management. God has called us to be stewards or managers of what belongs to him. He is the owner. He is the, the master. But he has called us to manage what belongs to him. And when he comes back, like any good master or owner would, he's going to settle accounts. He's going to want to know, how did you manage what I gave you? And just like that third servant, you're going to have a lot of people on that day saying this, well, I'm saved. Here you go. 
whether I do something or not, whether I contribute to the kingdom or not, how is my existence going to be different if I just sit down and receive compared to the one who invested their life in saying, God, thy will be done? That's a great question because here's the thing. I don't believe the Bible answers it, and if it Bible does, please let me know. The Bible doesn't tell us how it was done. It only tells us that it was done. I, I can't answer that question. I don't know why it will manifest. We have our glorified bodies and there's no more sin and I don't have entry thoughts and I'm not jealous of one another and envy and, and coveting all, all that's gone away. particular time, we are in heaven, we're in the presence of God, but we're not there to say. We are not there to say. Remember what we said last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus Christ comes back, guess what? We come back with him, right? He doesn't come back alone. The saints of God come back with us, and we are coming back to rule and to reign for one
to have it where you could do a race, and then the next time you race, you would be racing a shadow of yourself. <laughs> they, they would have your previous race going around the track, and you're trying to beat you. <laughs> you're trying to beat yourself. That's the way it is here. You're not competing against me. I'm not competing against you. God is not going to compare what you did and what I did or what I did and what you did. That's not who you're competing against. Who you're competing against, who you're comparing yourself to is yourself. Simply put, how faithful and obedient you were to doing what God called you to do. As a matter of fact, doing more may have the opposite result. If you begin to do all these things that God didn't tell you to do, they can have the opposite result of circumstance. Why? Because you can't be freed up to do what God told you to do if you're tied up doing what somebody else wants you to do. That's why it's okay to say no. Now, there, there's a lot of good things we can be doing. There's a lot of spiritual things we can be doing. There's a lot of kingdom things we can be doing. That doesn't mean we should be doing. Because God has given us an assignment, each of us an assignment. Certain things he wants us to do and to be faithful and obedient to doing that. So if we are tied up doing all these other things, no matter how good they are, no matter how Christian they are, no matter how spiritual they are, no matter how kingdom they are, but we're not freed up to do what God told us to do, we need more. <laughs> Look, if I'm supposed to run the 200, but I want to run the 100 because that's where everybody's going to be focused on. Even if I run the 100 and win, I still lose. Why? Because that wasn't my race. That was my race. That's why Paul said, run your race. <laughs> Finish your course. <laughs> because we all have a race that we are going to be judged on. So don't try to, ju uh, to run my race or anybody else's race. Don't judge yourself or your life with anybody but your faithfulness and your obedience to Jesus Christ and what he's called you to do. So this is God's challenge. Simply remain faithful and obedient to giving the life that God has given you for the advancement of his kingdom. To be faithful and obedient to give the life given us talents, certain skills and abilities, and God has given us treasure, resources. And at the end of it all, the judging day, he's simply going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? How did you use your life to advance my kingdom and to bring glory to my name?
participate in this psychological because I, I don't know a lot about it, but I also don't participate in it because of all the risk that it entails with it. See, right now when we have things like this happen, times like this happen, and the stock market takes a dip or a dive, you know, that, that's too risky, and I don't know a whole lot about it, and so I, I don't participate in it. But I know there are those that, that do, and if you do, God bless you. I pray that uh, it works out for you. But the way that the stock market works, of course, there has to be risk that is involved. And the risk that is involved is, is this. You don't know which company will succeed or which company will fail. <laughs> when a company decides to go public, what that company is deciding to do, either for their own reasons or for whatever, is they're giving you the opportunity to invest in them. And their success is your success. So depending on how much you invested in their company will determine how much of success you share with that company. So this is the risk. I don't know if they're going to succeed or not. I don't know if they're going to be successful or if they're going to fail. So what if I give all of my money into this particular company? I invest all that I have in it. And it takes a nosedive. Then I've lost. But what if I only invest a little bit? I'm only going to put $10 in this company. And that company takes off and becomes a great success. Now you're regretting that you didn't do more. So that's the risk. I mean, can you imagine, you know, they show those uh, movies like uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley, uh, the story of... Uh, Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates, and they would go to different people talking about their new product that no one's ever heard before, and they gave opportunity for people to invest in that. Can you imagine the people who said, nah, that's okay. That, that computer, that's not going anywhere. That software, that's not, that's not going to do anything. Can you imagine the regret that they have right now? Or those who invested, but they only invested a little bit. Okay, I'll put in just about $10 there. Can you imagine the regret that they are experiencing right now because of the success of these companies? Well, God has already given us the end from the beginning. He's already let us know that his company wins in the end. It is no risk at all to invest all you have in the kingdom of God so that you may receive dividends and rewards so that's what we want to leave you with today. And before we close, we want to just give you that opportunity. I'm speaking to Tanner now. But we want to give you that opportunity at this time to first and foremost invest your life into the life of Jesus Christ. If you are not saved, if you are not a believer, you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never given your life to him, that is the place you have to start first and foremost. Start there by investing your life into His work and believing in His one and only Son and the finished work of the cross so that you will never experience the great white throne judgment, but you will have an ability and opportunity to receive reward from the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're here and you are saved, 
again, allow this word just simply be uh, motivation to closing with God and think, okay, God, what is it that you would have me to do in this life? What ways or what areas of my life have I been disobedient to? What ways or areas of my life where I haven't been faithful? I started off strong, but then I took a step back. Or what ways or areas in my life have I been doing it for all the wrong reasons? For the glory of man, for the applause of man. So get along with God and see where he would direct you and you can begin to make investments in the life to come with the life that you have now. We want to thank you so much for joining us this Sunday morning virtually. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And if so, we'd like for you to let us know about it. You can always go to our website, denisechurch.cc, where, of course, you can give to support this ministry, but you can also watch. You can share, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, let us know that this ministry is being a blessing to you, because we know, may know that our work and our effort is not done in vain. I want to again give you a reminder about our midweek service on Wednesday. We're going to continue our service on the minds of the mind. So tune in again. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about uh, what is uh, on the hearts and minds of a lot of people today, what is due to Hollywood, or due to the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in today, and that is World War III, right? World War III, or better known as Armageddon. There's been many uh, movies about it, so we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say of what is known as Armageddon. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. So we pray that you will tune in, same time, same place. you are right now, we want to just bless you, give you the benediction before we are dismissed. This is a familiar passage of scripture found in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man who's able to gain the whole world, but yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his for the glory of God will equal your reward. Living for the things of this life will only equal your regret. May we live for the applause and glory of man, of God, not of man. Will you pray with me? Lift your hands to heaven. Receive the blessing of our God. Lord, we thank you for giving us this morning, for causing us to take heed at this time examine our lives and to take inventory of how much we have been willing to invest in the kingdom of God. To simply be obedient and faithful 
today as you called and saved us to be. So we thank you for giving us this fair warning so that we may take advantage of the time and the talent and even the treasure you've given us in life, knowing that you have reward for us there in this land of Canaan. So as we leave this place, may we never lose the truth that we've learned here today. May it go before us, and may we continue in investing in the advancement of the kingdom of God for our good and for your glory. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' powerful and precious name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.